Welcome, welcome, welcome to a brand new episode of the Spiraling Podcast. We've been away for a bit, okay? Been a little bit of a hiatus, okay? Some people like to call it a little bit of a hibernation, all right? I know it occurred during the summer. It's a bit weird, okay? But that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Me and Jason, we're back. How are you guys? You know, I think we're doing okay. I think the uh, you know the public was yearning uh, for yeah. for a brand new uh, episode. Uh, we're not alone today. I know you guys get quite bored of just listening to me and Jason ramble on about whatever various topics we got going. So we have a police officer for about 15 years, Sonny McClamrock. Sonny, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Oh, dude, we're, we're so excited to have you. So when Jason first told me about you, he said, man, I got to give up. Like when we first like talked about the conception of this podcast, we immediately started talking. OK, well, who can we get on? Like, you know, who do you know? Who can we pull? And Jason immediately said, Sonny, immediately. And so that was like one of the very first people that that, that he mentioned. And that was you. And so I'm very happy. Whatever he told me uh, this morning, he's like, hey, man. You know, we're doing a podcast in 10 minutes. I said, oh, okay, great. Let's go. <laughs> so I was like, let's 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 get let's get to it. But Sonny, man, uh, I, I thought I'd turn over the mic to you just for a bit. Maybe you can tell us uh, and, or, and the listeners as well uh, just a little bit about yourself. OK, I'll try not to ramble too much. Um, 44. Um, I'm married. I've been married to my wife, Cheryl, for 21 years. Oh, congratulations. We have uh, three boys. Thank you. Samuel will be 20 in a few weeks. Joshua is 17. And my littlest one, Gabriel, is 12. Oh, wow. Um, we moved. I was born and raised in North Carolina. I uh, have six brothers and sisters. We, My wife and I didn't know each other till we went to school. We went to Evangel University. Um, we're there for four years. Um, I had applied with the Houston Police Department while I was uh, studying my senior year, got hired on with them and another police department, moved down to Houston, worked yeah. for um, UT Police for a couple of years. And then we lived out here in Fort Bend County, uh, Missouri City, Richmond, Rosenberg, Sugarland. I got hired on with M- Missouri City Police Department in uh, 01. Uh, we started a family. Um, we've been uh, youth pastors at and associate pastors at a few local churches here. Yeah. Uh, in my early years as a policeman, I became a detective, started working some uh, crimes against children cases, and that went down into the horrible world of online child solicitation and human trafficking. I worked uh, hand in hand with the district attorney's office. I've worked with the FBI. Um, Finally surfaced, uh, just couldn't take that world anymore. Became a beat cop, didn't really enjoy that too much towards the end of my career. And um, found the world of CrossFit. And a friend of mine was selling a little boot camp gym. I bought it. Um, loved the idea of still serving and helping people yeah. in just the fitness and health capacity. So left law enforcement, bought a gym, and been running it for the last six years. Wow. So you've been around. 
right? You've been, you've been, I, you've been around have, the block. I have some too. stories. I'm sure. I'm sure you have some stories. I'm sure it's 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 quite insane. But okay, so well, congratulations, right? On on, on being, being married you. for so long, and, and and your three beautiful kids. I think that's amazing. That's great. Um, uh, I guess the first quick question I have for you, because we, we we haven't had a, a police officer yet on the show. Um, and I actually got a really good buddy of mine. He's a he's a police officer in Wyoming. He's been there for about four years or so. But um, I have a question. So what what kind of made you want to get into uh, that line of work into law enforcement? No law enforcement in my family. Um, yeah. Somewhere in high school, I decided to I wanted to be in the service. I just like the idea of serving my father. Yeah. I tried to get into the service and couldn't for some health issues. So in my senior year, I joined what they call the uh, Marine Corps Delay Entry Program. Okay. So when you're 17, your parents have to sign for you because you're not an adult. And so they come to the high school, and in the high school, we go out to them. So we trained with them for a little over a year. And then after I graduated... Because uh, my whole goal was to maybe become an MP, and then ultimately I wanted to be a state trooper. Okay. Um, very, very small guy. Uh, I graduated high school actually at 5'6", at 110 pounds. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, just teeny tiny. I'm still not a big guy now, but um, the biggest concern they had was I was just too little. And so um, I had a hyper... Uh, metabolism growing up i didn't start even hitting puberty until 16 17 so everybody was a little worried about me trying to go into the marine corps and you know i just chose the hardest one because i felt like that's what would make me uh bigger and stronger and anyways was basically rejected uh for some health issues through the marines and i actually didn't weigh enough and so um, I actually went out to Montana and Wyoming, where your friend's at, which is a beautiful yeah. country. Had an uncle out there. And I just needed to get a, a year off because I had worked for two years um, trying to get into the service. And um, some things outside of my control hindered me from that. And so my uncle went out there and hunted and fished and basically became a man while I was out there at the time in my life. My dad wasn't a part of my life. My grandpa came and lived with me. So I had two extremely great men and role models, uh, 18, 19 years old. Decided at that point that nobody in my family had ever gone to college. Um, So decided at that point I would get a uh, bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And so that was the route I took to become a law enforcement officer. Yeah, for first first generation college uh, college graduate, first att- first generation college attendee. Yes, family. and it's it's funny because when I look back at all my brothers and sisters and my parents and their brothers and sisters, like I thought that to be true, but then after I graduated from college, I confirmed it, and there was like sixty or seventy of us, and none of them had ever gone to school. Wow. Wow. So was there any, I guess, was there any kind of pressure that came with that? Was it any kind of feeling of, uh, like, any kind of feeling of excitement? Like, what was it, what did that feel like to be the first one to go to school? 
I don't even know if I knew at the time, except for just my immediate family. Like yeah. I, I knew like my mom and they hadn't gone and any of my older cousins had never gone, but I was ready to go. I yeah. was born and raised in a little trailer out in the woods. Um, at the time, I didn't appreciate that life. Um, my parents separated when I was young, about four or five. Um, Dad lived in Georgia, um, raised by my mom and her parents. We all lived on around 25 acres together. Yeah. And then uh, my dad's parents lived in a little town called Mox, about an hour away. And my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a beef farmer. So always either on a vegetable farm at home or a, 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 a cow cattle farm uh, in Moxville. So I'd just been in the same place. There was only one elementary school, one middle school, one high school. My, my mom went there, all of her siblings. And so it was just a very small, yeah. at the time, less than 10,000 person uh, town and it's just a typical story of after being in Montana for a year and seeing another part of the United States I was ready uh, to see more yeah ready to kind of spread your wings and fly well that's that's really cool man I did not know that the uh, jumping back onto your um, trying to join the Marine Corps I did not know that they had like a like a minimum weight requirement either yeah, um, there was there was a minimum. I, I don't remember it. I do know in the state troopers, um, I wasn't tall enough to become a state trooper in North Carolina at the time. Um, but they ended up detecting a heart murmur that I had that I really wasn't completely truthful about during one gotcha. of the uh, tactical uh, physical fitness assessments. And um, I had been I was born with a heart murmur. And I remember, you know, even as a young kid, always going to the hospital, running on the treadmill or around it, getting multiple EKGs done. And so I didn't play sports or anything growing up. Yeah. Man, that must, um, yeah, that must have been, must have been hard, but it it ain't about the size of (laughs) the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the uh, fight in the dog. Right. So that's, that's really what matters about your heart. Um, So uh, moving forward, you uh, decide to go into law enforcement. You go off to school, right? You were the first generation student for, for your family come from a very, very small town, less than 10,000 people. You'd finally seen Montana, you get to school and you start the criminal justice program. Um, I myself completed the criminal justice program at a school called Stephen F. Austin. It's in deep East Texas. Like I didn't even know this place existed. Um, why I ended up going there. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. It was just, I, I, I went there on, on vacations. I ended up liking the place, but, uh, uh, so you, you start the criminal justice program and, uh, and, and obviously you stick with it. So what about it was kind of uh, really attractive to you? Uh, part of it probably had to do with my love languages, even though at the time I didn't know what love languages were. I just was uh, extreme extrovert, uh, service oriented, um, not what I would consider myself to be an extremely intelligent person. So I didn't have, I wasn't really interested in the book smart stuff. Um, I was very practical, common sense, good judgment. I thrived uh, in relationships. Um, 
So later on in life, learning that my highest uh, love language is um, acts of service, it really did fit the mold that, you know, God had given me that um, I just enjoyed helping people. And it's the way Mm -hmm. that I showed people, you know, that I loved them. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand, especially uh, here in Texas, one of the names that uh, police officers have, they're called public servants. And it was rooted into me uh, in the academy um, that, yes, we're law enforcement. Yes, we have a gun. Yes, we have a badge, but we're not the military. And it is your job to serve the public. And I really took the the name in Texas, uh, public servant, as a badge of honor, yeah. even over the police officer uh, title or policeman or whatever other title that they wanted to give us. I like, you know, on the side of our cars, it was to protect and serve. I just it really enjoyed being around people, helping people. I know sometimes that's just kind of a cliche uh, thing. People say I just enjoy, you know, helping people. But it was kind of cool to tell people everybody had my phone number. All they had to do was call 911 and I'd get there as fast as possible. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah, so like in comparison with my buddy, my buddy went, uh, I guess, kind of the less traditional route in terms of becoming a police officer. So he was in the military for a bit and then uh, transferred back into civilian life. Then he goes and uh, works as a jailer for a little bit and then works as a sheriff's mm-hmm. deputy and then goes on and gets gets a job up in Wyoming. Um Texas born and raised just like me um, moving up to Wyoming and a little side little side comment I mean it was snowing up there today Sonny can you believe it it was snowing okay I wish and I could be up there I you know me too and I, t- I told him today I told him this morning we had a brief phone conversation I was like man like I I'm so jealous because it's gonna be 94 or something whatever today anyway that's just beyond the point so but my cur- my uh, my question that goes along with that is he went kind of the less traditional route on, on that way, and then you went to school and went through the uh, the program at the university. I'm wondering, do you, uh, from your perspective, do you think that there was advantages in going to school and uh, and going through the bachelor's program? I actually think the way that your friend did it might now be even more of the most common way, or it was Maybe, up yeah. until semi-recently. A lot of military people come out and feel suited um, for police work, even though military work is vastly different than police work, which is why some of them do have trouble assimilating into the role of a public servant because you're not a servant when you're in the military. Um, But my brother kind of did the same thing. There's a lot of larger sheriff's departments that will pay for your academy as long as you're employed with them being mm-hmm. a jailer and a lot of jailers are there four five six years they learn the criminal justice system how the local system works and then they you know go and apply to be a deputy um you know uh i have mixed feelings on education um okay. i'm not i'm not uh, pro college uh i'm really pro common sense good judgment and loving people and sometimes that actually can't be taught in school um i do know that there are higher educations for very specific things um doctors and nurses that you have to go but i think there's a a loss of just general work 
plumbers, electricians, um, carpenters, right? Um, Somebody's got entrepreneurs. Do it, right? Yeah. So I don't. I didn't push college on any of my children. They one of them chose just to do some community college hours until. Uh, you know, he finds out exactly what he wants to do. Where my college did um, help me, one, it got me, it exposed me to a lot of multiculturalism. Growing yeah. up in North Carolina, you know, um, it was mostly uh, uh, white people. Um, okay. And um, I had very, very little interactions with anybody outside of that and so springfield missouri you might not think as much of you know to be completely immersed you know in different cultures but because um the baptist church is located the headquarters and the assemblies of god headquarters is located in springfield every nation in the world is represented there so um, there okay. were over like 160 uh nationalities and people from different countries uh in springfield so i was dramatically uh impacted and changed by all of those things and seeing you know god's creation um in different people that didn't look like me talk like me move like me think like me or have any sort of resemblance mm -hmm. you know of me and then you know in law enforcement um in this world, uh, they do push higher education. And because I did have a four-year degree, yeah. um, I actually made, I was the youngest person in the history of Missouri City to make detective. I actually made detective at 28 years old, and I wouldn't have done it without the extra points from having my degree. So it did excel me in my career. Yeah. It did. And I, you know, I think that's always a good thing about school, right? You know, school, school may not be for everybody and that's fine. Um, and, and, you know, everybody has their different opinions on it, but I think what school does do, uh, talking about higher education here with, with, with college and stuff is I think it exposes you to, like you just said, a bunch of different, you know, there's, you're leaving your small town or you're even from your big city home and you're going to a, a new place with new people and, uh, who, who are all coming there from different areas of the world or different areas of the country and you get you, you know being exposed to different cultures i think is always a good thing so um and uh, uh and increasing one's education is good so um okay excellent very very cool very very cool um uh, so, so moving on there, ju just a little bit. You you get through school. You said you you go to uh, uh, you you become a detective. But before that, you had, you had to graduate school. What was your immediate steps? Right, straight out, straight out of graduation. You walk out of the hall, right. You you got your cords on. You got your you know your your uh, your gown and everything. So, what what was the immediate next step? Uh, my wedding in less than thirty days. Wow. Yeah. Talk, talk about a couple of events back to back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had uh, gotten engaged uh, on uh, Valentine's of 99, and then we had set a uh, wedding date in July yeah. of that same year. We graduated in May, so we got uh, to the church here in Missouri City, and I had already... Start. I had already applied with the Houston Police Department, and okay. yeah. I hadn't had my acceptance letter 
but I had already flew in and passed all the preliminary testing. And so I was just waiting uh, to be hired by them. And while I was waiting, we lived with my wife's parents. We had our first baby um, 11 months into our marriage. Wow. Um, I have no clue how that happened. It was like surprise. Uh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> and uh, um, we, close, weren't, we weren't at all prepared or ready or anything for that. Like I said, we were still living with her parents. Um, and then as soon as we got pregnant, um, I had applied with another police department, University of Texas, okay. down in the medical center with MD Anderson because I was waiting for HPD. And I actually got hired on with them at the same time H- HPD had accepted me. And so I ended up going to the smaller police department because they were paying a little bit more. And I just was from a small town and I just didn't just know if I was going to. Yeah. It just kind of fit be, your. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be like just another, another officer or a number. There was only a few hand, maybe a few hundred police officers for UT. And they had an academy in Austin and we got to train with DPS at their headquarters. So it was kind of exciting to be able to um, train at that at that caliber. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, my my buddy up in, in Wyoming, they're a, a three-man police department right now. Very small three town. Man. It's like 1,500, 2,000 people, something like that. It's very, very small. Um, but so 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 they're up there, and he, he likes the small town feeling, the small town vibe um, of everything. Um, so, so yeah, so you mentioned you go you go to the, the, the UT. And uh, so what was that training like once you're in the academy? Because I'm sure it's it's – it's got to be, you know, you're learning things like, you know, some practical things and you're also learning, you know, uh, you know, from the books, and everything that what you're doing. But it's different when you take that into, you know, physical practice and application. Uh, what was the training like at uh, UT? Well, I guess um, it did help having that four year degree because yeah. my professor, the professor in charge of the criminal justice program at Evangel was a police officer um, and a very successful police officer. So he had prepared us extensively for the academy, for police work. He got us ride-alongs at, at the Springfield Police Department. We got to intern. I was one of the six uh, cadets that got to do an internship there. So I was exposed to a, a lot of the police work um, in college and a part of the uh, internship and the ride-along program. I rode along with every police department that I could even before uh, Dallas yeah. Police Department, a couple of sheriff's department. Um, I just wanted to be as prepared as possible. You know, in the academy, uh, I really learned and got to see another, you know, 30 officers, young young and old alike. I mean, there were you have to be 21 in Texas to be an officer, and there were literally 20, 22-year-olds. I was 23, and then um, most departments cut it, cut it off around 35 or so, sometimes 40. Um, and so it was a huge, wide variety of people from all over the state. Um, the biggest problem that I had in the academy were just the different mindsets and philosophical or ideologies of law yeah. enforcement. There were so many military people 
um, that were getting into law enforcement that were just super aggressive, um, wanted to get in fights, uh, talked about, you know, shooting people, not necessarily in a, in a bad way, but they, they wanted to get their hands dirty and they were doing it for the excitement. And it kind of bothered me a little bit because to this day, um, I never did want to shoot anybody. Um, my, my objective was of course to put the bad guys in jail, but I always got a little bit more out of actually helping the victim over putting the bad guy in jail. But the biggest eye opener was the scenarios. Um, okay. how easily and quickly uh, things can turn. Um, I think one of the biggest eye-openers was reaction time versus action time. In law enforcement, everything we do is reaction. There is nothing fast about reaction. Um, it's always slower than action. And when I got to see how fast somebody can clear a room with a knife, stab you, how fast someone can draw a gun from an unseen part of their body, perhaps under a shirt, in a pair of pants, you know, shoot you and kill you while you're standing there with your weapon pointed at them. Even though I only have to move my finger one inch or seven pounds of pressure, by the time my brain sees this quick motion whipping around and hitting me, pulling that trigger, I couldn't pull the trigger. And that was something that to this day, when I watch videos and I talk and debate with people about, sure, you know, these little clips that they see that, you know, nobody, I mean, in the NFL, there's 10 K cameras, there's five reps and they're still arguing over where the ball was, you know, in, in the end zone or whatnot. And you're trying to make a judgment call from a phasey foot fuzzy moving, you know, camera from one perspective, it's it's a little perplexing to me that people can make such great judgment calls from those types of cameras. But it really is the saying until nobody truly, really understands this the magnitude of how quickly you have to make a decision. And in law enforcement, believe it or not, I know some people may not believe this, but most of what you see on television and the videos of the officers acting what you would consider to be very hasty is because they're afraid. And when you are afraid for your life, you're afraid somebody's going to shoot you. You're afraid somebody's going to stab you. You're afraid that somebody is going to do something to you where you can't go home and you can't see your family. You can't see your children. Sometimes they do act in fear and sometimes it's deadly and it's extremely difficult to put yourself in that situation unless you've been overseas in war or you've been in law enforcement and you've had to make that judgment call in a split. It's under a second. Um, Right. And so that was one of the things that really opened up my eyes in the academy because I got shot and stabbed, you know, hundreds and thousands of times. And... Part of it was not because I had a slow reaction time. I had an extremely 
quick reaction time. But a lot of times I was told I had too much empathy. I had too much sympathy and I gave just too much um, compassion and cause to that individual. And I probably got killed more than all of the other cadets combined. And it was, it put a bad taste in my mouth because one, nobody wanted to work with me. Um, I did not like the idea of having to take somebody's life. I wasn't against it. Um, I grew up hunting and fishing, um, which I know is, it's very different than, you know, actually having to shoot somebody. But in my mind, the last thing that I wanted to do was to take a life. And so um, I had to harden up a little bit uh, in the academy. And so it wasn't until I was on in the streets by myself alone, gun drawn, that I realized, okay, I do have what it takes to be able to take a life if I need to protect somebody else or if that's my, my own life, I would be willing to do it. But those were some big, big life-changing moments in my life. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely sounds yeah. like it. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jason. Well, Sonny, you, you said something about the uh, the compassion and the, and the sympathy uh, that you had for for people. And, um, you know, to, to be honest with you, I, I, I think that's one of your good traits that you have about you is, is that you're very sympathetic when it comes to other people. And especially when you're counseling other people or pastoring other people, um, you know, it, it's funny that we're talking so much about law enforcement and that's how you and I met, Sonny, was uh, on a call that um, I was trying to take my own life. And you did something for me that nobody else had ever done, is you showed sympathy towards me. And I think that next weekend we were having a barbecue at your house. Uh, <laughs> but I have, we've been friends ever since. And I think, you know, if you, if you look back at it now, um, the mindset that I was in was not me. It was it was uh, somebody else possessing my body because I, I don't typically think like that. I don't typically want to go out and try to take my own life. And you saw that about me and set that aside and developed a friendship with me instead, instead of instead of being a, a, a hard a hardened police officer that all you care about is your job or something like that it that, that that's not what it was about it was about reaching out and helping somebody and I wrote about that in the book and I I, I sincerely appreciative about all that that you did for me um, and especially our our remain friendship uh, that means something to me more than than anything else that I could think about. I remember that uh, very clearly um, that day. I, it's not something that I would bring up unless you choose to bring it up because I've had a couple people that I've told them about you and they asked how we met and um, I wasn't 100% truthful with them. Um, I remember a lot of those calls. I went yeah. to a lot of either attempted suicide calls or suicide calls, everything from 
people shooting themselves to people hanging themselves. Um, I've witnessed people die. I've actually witnessed uh, the suicide. I can't think of a more tragic uh, ending to anybody's life um, than to feel absolutely at the end of all hope. And if there was anybody that I truly did feel sorry um, for, it was those people such as yourself that had family, that had children, but could not see the other side and felt like, you know, even just for a brief moment that these people might be better without me. And so you and I both know that's a complete and utter lie. It's from the enemy. Um, You know, I don't know if you were demonically depressed or oppressed or depressed or whatever it was, but we know that the power of addiction is the strongest uh, force on the earth outside of um, God's love. And I'm just at, at that time in my life, happy that the Holy Spirit was uh, using me and sending me those on call. I, I remember, I can't remember all the details, but I kind of remember that, that you weren't in my district. I was supposed to be somewhere else. And when the call dropped, I remember, I think I just said, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to take it. And as long as the supervisor doesn't object, uh, sometimes we can go outside of, um, you know, our boundaries or our districts uh, that day. And so those were the calls that I lived for. Um, I hate to say it, but property crimes didn't do like a whole lot for me. Um and I always more enjoyed the interaction from people, which is why when I became a detective, I wanted to do people crimes and not property. But I am thankful it is a small circle. Um, it is uh, God works in extremely mysterious ways. And here we are today um, because of it. Yeah. For sure, for sure. I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, let everybody, everybody, our listeners know it is, it is uh, National Suicide Prevention Week. Um, so we're going to drop the uh, the number of the suicide uh, prevention lifeline right here in the in the description of the video, uh, as well as in the in the link in the uh, in the description as well. I'm going to go ahead and give a quick uh, uh, let everybody know what the number is. The number is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Again, one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Um, you know, if you know somebody who is going through a rough time or you're, you're afraid that they might try and do something, if you yourself um, are having um, some, some, some of those thoughts, give that number a call and uh, give yourself one more chance. Um, please go ahead and do that. So that number is going to be down for everybody below. Um, so, Sonny, you, you're, uh, you're a, a police officer for, for 15 years. You, you, you dealt with and you've seen a lot. Um, uh, maybe we kind of shift gears. So I know you, see, you know, obviously a lot of cops when you talk to them, or at least some cops that, that I've known personally, you know, they talk about some of the bad times. What were some of the, some of the, some of the good times um, uh, with being a police officer? I think my most fun times was with there's a community liaison office usually in most departments where that officer or group of officers Mm -hmm. their whole objective or mission is to bridge the gap 
between law enforcement and the community that they serve. We had a community liaison officer, it was just one person, and every chance that I got, I would go and help him. Yeah. Um, his name was uh, Dan Flagg, and um, because of my background at, at churches and youth pastorings, I was one of the few officers that was willing and actually enjoyed speaking to people and children. And so I quickly became his little shadow and started talking at public schools, um, at churches, boy, boy and Girl Scout meetings. And out of that actually came a public speaking ministry that I run today. Um, but I really enjoyed um, meeting the marginalized uh, people and showing them that what makes them different or unique isn't bad. And so whether it was a child failing in school, whether it was the child that was being bullied or the child that didn't have a, a father or a mother, um, I loved um, putting muscles on the underdog, uh, physically, yeah. spiritually, mentally, that was my thing. Um, I gravitated to the children that were not being accepted or loved. So I jumped at the opportunity for any sort of speaking engagement. Um, at, at a lot of times, I was the officer that was chosen to go out and do that. And it wasn't just children, you know, HOAs. Of, of, of neighborhoods were the biggest connection for law enforcement. You know, we would go and speak to the HOAs or the boards and they would disseminate the information to the community. Um, I, I began to do that. We started a self-defense class for women and children. Um, and so, you know, for me, the overwhelming majority of my career out in the public was great. What I struggled, what I struggled with, was uh, the internal politics sure. and uh, internal policing. Maybe not getting along with a supervisor or a coworker, um, and so that part I hated. Um, I did not like politics. It was something I never quite understood that. I pull you over, I write you a ticket, you have to reach in your pocketbook. Didn't quite ever make sense to me. It almost looks as if you are paying me almost directly. And so um, I wrote the least amount of tickets of uh, any officer and it had nothing to do with um, either my empathy or sympathy for them, even though that did come into play a lot. I just did not like the idea. Um, I mean, I remember one year I pulled over a, uh, a housekeeper. She barely spoke. Um, she was a maid because her, her car was on the side of her car and she barely spoke any English. And it was the day before Christmas and she was blowing through a neighborhood um, like 20 or 30 over. So I pulled her over. I asked her if there was an emergency. I told her that this was the neighborhood and it was the day before Christmas and kids were playing and she started crying and she was she was lost. She was look, she had this address. She goes, this is it's a cleaning gig for me. And if I can, um, you know, get this job and uh, I'm going to be able to have some, you know, Christmas for my for my kids. 
And so she pulled out a picture of all of our kids. And I just said, look, I understand that, you know, um, you're trying to, you know, pay, pay for Christmas and stuff, but you can't be driving this fast to a neighborhood because all of these children are at risk and you knew that you can't prioritize your children over these children. And she just began to cry, told me how sorry she was. And I just said, you know, 20 miles over the speed limit is just utterly ridiculous. And so I went back to my car and I, I, I did this quite often. When you're starting to write a ticket, people don't know whether it's a ticket or a warning. And so I hate to say, but sometimes I'd have, you know, a little fun with them where it sounded like this is going to be a ticket. I'm asking, you know, their home, if their home address is correct, what their phone number is, their work address. And then it's like sign here and they think they're getting a ticket. And when she found out that it was just a warning. Um, she, she wanted to get out of her car. She wanted to hug me. And I just said, look, it's the day before Christmas. I'm not giving you a ticket, but if I see you speeding in the neighborhood again, rest assured, you're going to get one. So I was trying to find this balance of enforcing the law and safety, but having, you know, compassion, you know, on this lady, just trying to provide for, you know, for her family. And so those were good times for me. Um, uh, when when I did traffic control, very rarely did I mess with you because your registration was out or you didn't have a front tag like you're supposed to in Texas. It was always because something that you're doing is violating other people's safety. Right. And so I felt like if I could communicate, you know, and articulate to that individual that why you're being stopped and why this is so important. Um, if I felt like I could get through to them um, with maybe uh, just the, the statement and then write them a warning. I always wrote the warnings and said, if you do it again, this warning goes into the database. Everybody's going to see it and you'll have no mercy the next time. So finding that balance, you know, between uh making sure that that individual knows they were breaking the law and kind of getting to their humanity as to why they should stop. Like they need to understand why it's important to stop whatever they're doing. Because sometimes when you're rich and you have a lot of money, I remember one time I pulled over a guy doing practically double the speed limit. He had 19 speeding tickets he was driving some sort of sports car it i could have wrote him another ticket um, but it wouldn't have mattered and so i walked up to the car and i said you know this would be your 20th ticket and this was before there was the point system in texas because he would actually lose his license now and i just walked up to the car and i just began to talk to him about safety and i told him about a couple accidents that i had worked where speed had played uh, into the death of one of the victims and I spoke to them for about five minutes, told him to have a good day. Well, I'm, I'm walking back to the car, you know, we're trained to always keep an eye on the individual. So I'm using some, some of those tactics. And by the time I open up my door, I see his door open. And well, that's an immediate red flag. You just don't get out of a car when you're being pulled over unless the officer tells you to get out. So I immediately turned around, told him to get back into the car. And he's like, no, 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 I, I want to talk to you. So I walked back up to the car and I'm, I'm a little angry at him. And I'm like, what, what do you want? Because it seemed like when I was originally talking to him, I wasn't getting anywhere with him. 
And yeah, I just yeah. was like, you're, you're just, you just got too much money and you're under in my mind. I was like, you're going to have to get into an accident and get hurt before you slow down. And he's, um, he's got a tear in his eye and he pulls his sunglasses down and he goes, I'm 55 years old. I'm a millionaire. I'm a, I own three successful businesses. When cops pull me over, all they normally do is curse me out and write me a ticket. He goes, I don't even know what my insurance policy is right now. He goes, I just want to tell you that I appreciate that you took the time to morally try to explain to me why I should slow down. And I just want you to know, I'm going to take those things into consideration. And I just remember walking back to the car thinking, wow, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that kind of stuff I think is amazing, right? Appealing to their humanity and, and getting through to them where, where nobody else could, cause you're, cause you're right. You know, at, at ticket number 20, you know, it's not going to make uh, any difference. But talking to them, getting to their humanity and connecting with them in some way, that does. And I think that that's amazing. I do. I, I commend you for that. Thank you, sir. That's that's oh. fantastic. Um, but uh, moving on here again a little bit. I know Jason's got another commitment here in a little bit. But um so, so what are you doing now? You moved on from from uh, doing uh, police work, and I'm, I'm we, I could sit here and I could listen to your stories all day and talk to you. I think that would be fantastic. But um, uh, real quickly, what are you doing? You know, right now, what's going on with with, with Sunny? Uh, where can the people find you? Well, right now, uh, I own two gyms in the same location down in Missouri City. I own I've owned T three Cross Training for a little over five years. It's a group functional fitness program where it's it's a strength and conditioning program, very similar to like what you might find at CrossFit. And there we run the uh, cross training, the boot camp, and the weight loss programs. And I was a sublease of Snap Fitness Missouri City for about five years. And then over our COVID vacation back in uh, April and May, I bought my partner out. So now I own the T3 cross training and uh, the snap fitness. So I was, I found the world of functional fitness the last five years of my career in law enforcement. I had a near death experience chasing after a suspect and I was resuscitated and uh, hospitalized uh, and transported by an ambulance uh, because of my heart murmur. And I was uh, obese at the time. And so at that point, I was told I couldn't come back to duty until I was fit. And so I found the world of CrossFit and micro macro programming, nutritional eating. And about a year to two years later, was just eating it up, starting to do competitions. I was in my mid to upper 30s at the time. Um, started teaching at a, at a local boot camp, started doing uh, fitness testing at the police department for the policemen and the firemen. Um, did that for about two years, really found my niche. Um, I'd always been just kind of a gym rat in the gym. I was the guy with the yeah. big chest, big biceps, but a big belly. Um, you know, only only cared about the muscles, never really cared about my, my heart or my posterior chain, my backside. And um, uh, after that experience, I decided to get into the world of functional training and health. And um, I just loved fitness. I loved what it had made me. Um, I felt like if this type of fitness would have been around when I was a kid, I could have easily, you know, made it into the Marines and performed much better in the academy. But uh, I just found that I enjoyed helping people in that. And I had a story that people wanted to hear. 
um, about basically chasing after a suspect and being found in the middle of a backyard after running through two fences, uh, practically not breathing. And um, so when people heard that story, they they started gravitating to the gym and um, the, the police department was going in a, in a direction that um, I personally didn't like. I had made quite a few mistakes at the police department. My file was uh, on the thicker side. I knew that I probably wouldn't be able to get hired by any other uh, police department because of uh, some of the decisions that I had made um, either earlier on in my career or just in anger. And so um, at that point, uh, we prayed. We said, okay, Lord, we're going to sell our house. If our house sells, you know, quick, we had some equity in it, then um, we would, you know, uh, take that money, buy this gym, and start start a new life. And so our house sold one day. It was wow. on the market. And so we just kind of took that as a sign, um, bought the little gym. I put my two-week notice in. I did not actually retire from law enforcement. I had another seven or eight years. Um, I needed like 22, 23 years to basically be able to do that. And so, um, you know, without going into a lot of detail, the last five years have, have been a roller coaster. Um, I've been separated during that time. I've bankrupt just two times. Um, but we are where we are now, where some people might consider me to be successful. Um, finally owning a, a, a Snap Fitness franchise gym with about 800 clients. Uh, things have radically changed uh, in my life, my wife's life, my family's life. And um, we're heading in a good trajectory. Well, I'm glad and I'm happy for you that you're heading in a, in a, in a new trajectory and that you are, uh, uh, your business is becoming successful and, and that you're um, doing something that you love doing every single day. I think that's fantastic. But we got to go ahead and wrap it up here. Guys, thank you so much for listening to uh, a brand new episode of the Spiraling Podcast. Again, we know it's been a while, but we had to bring you this new episode. Thank you, Sonny, again for joining us. We've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a very long time, and I'm sure this won't be the last time we ever have you on. I could pick your brain for for hours and hours, man. We can just keep going back and forth. It'd be awesome. But um, uh, guys, remember, please remember to leave a like on the video. Uh, subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere where podcasts can be heard. Go ahead and give us uh, a like on that. Be sure to follow uh, so you don't miss another episode. But guys, I think that's going to be it from all of us here. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye-bye.